hey, do you know that you're an amazing church? Did you know that? Do you know that you're an amazing church? Some of you are like, yeah, I know, I am, yeah. No, seriously, there have been uh, multiple times uh, over the past couple weeks where things have been going on and I've been watching you do your thing and inviting people and going to life groups and going to taking classes and going deeper in your faith and serving around the city. And I just stop and think to myself, I am so incredibly blessed. Do you ever have those moments? And it's not based on circumstances in your life. You know what I mean? It's, it's a deeper thing. There's a deeper peace and a, a deeper joy there. I've had a few moments like that these past couple weeks. Not everything's going well, but I see you being the church. I see you being who God's called you to be. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being an awesome church. So don't stop inviting Don't stop inviting people. There is always room for them here. Don't stop inviting people to life groups. Don't stop going to your life group. Don't stop going to Bible study for breakfast club in the morning. Don't stop serving in all the variety of ways that we're serving around the city. Don't stop doing that. It makes me think of this phrase, don't stop believing, folks. Don't stop believing that God is doing a powerful thing as we reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. That that changes lives. Don't stop believing, folks. I think, isn't there a song? Don't stop believing. Hold on to that Give the sound guys a round of applause. How do they know? How do they know? I tell you what. Uh, Kim, I think we found a new worship song. What do you guys think about that? Maybe we'll try that one uh, next week. But don't stop believing. There are times in our life where it's hard to believe, isn't it? There it's hard to keep on moving when life's difficult and, and things are tough. It's hard to keep believing. But the way that we start that, the way that we start and keep the faith, and it starts with God's word. If you've got your story Bibles, take those out. Or if you've got your Bible from the row, I encourage you to take those out. We've been going through the story uh, these last few months, and it starts with being immersed in God's Word. That's why for the past several months, we've been working on this idea of, of immersing ourselves in God's Word so that we can know the story, going through 31 of the most powerful stories of Scripture. Do you remember when we started this journey back in September? Do you remember September? It was kind of a ways, a long time ago. Does it feel like it was a long time ago? Well, it seems like whenever we start something, whether it's reading the story or uh, maybe it's uh, a brand new relationship that you're in, starting uh, a marriage, some of you have maybe started a new job recently. We started this church about five years ago. Uh, and, and whenever you start something new, maybe a New Year's resolution, how's that going for you? Still going strong? Maybe not, right? Because whenever we start something, there's a lot of energy and a lot of momentum, because you're kind of building up to it, and you're really excited. We're going to start reading the Bible in chronological order, and I'm going to get up every single day and read the Bible and pray before I go to work. And that lasts for a while, right? Or you get a new job, and you're really excited because this time my boss is actually going to treat me well. Or you get in a new relationship, and you're maybe like, oh, this is it. And there's a lot of energy, and there's a lot of passion and excitement as you build and you get up to that point. But then in every single one of those circumstances that I just described, and you could include reading the Bible, 
You can include weekly worship, making that a priority in your life. You could think that we all reach kind of a halfway point where we kind of hit the wall and we're like, man, this is really difficult to push through. I don't know if I can do it. And this is the place where we're at in the story right now. We're about halfway through. And it's not very exciting, is it? The Old Testament's difficult. And so whether you're reading the Bible or whether you're in a new job or a relationship or there's a circumstance in your life, we all kind of hit this wall. And in that moment, we have to make the decision, are we going to push through? Are we going to push through and are we going to go up to the next level? Or are we just going to say, well, that's it. I'm done. And we just kind of fade down and all that energy and excitement and passion that we once had goes down. Which one are you? Or where are you at on that spectrum today? Because it's easy for us in our lives to make a whole bunch of excuses why I can't ramp back up again. We come up with all sorts of excuses. Oh, it just doesn't make any sense anymore. and It's difficult and it'd be easy to just quit. It'd be easy to just stop and cave. And so I think if the Holy Spirit is speaking anything to us today... The Holy Spirit saying, don't stop believing. If you can think of those lyrics again and again, don't stop believing and push through. And maybe it's time to ramp back up. Maybe it's time to ramp back up in your scripture reading uh, individually, in your devotions. Do you, do, do you read the story together as a couple? Do you, you know you can read it together as a family? The Kingdom Quest kids are studying the exact same thing. Okay? Do you know that maybe it's time to ramp back up in your weekly worship and making that a priority? Ramp it back up. Push through that wall. Don't stop believing. Keep the faith. Not just for us as we read, but for God's people and where we're at in the story as Israel. Because can we just be a hundred, can I be honest with you? Not that I'm not normally, I'm not up here telling a bunch of lies, but I really want to be honest with you. Let's just get honest with each other this morning. Does anybody think the Old Testament is hard to understand? Okay, good. If you're not raising your hand, you're a liar, okay? You're in in church, remember that, okay? Does anybody think the Old Testament is hard to understand sometimes? Okay, good. Seven of you are biblical scholars then. Okay, great. Even if you've been reading the Bible your whole life, there are some points in the Old Testament that are difficult to understand. You ever been driving through a parking lot and you're going like 25 miles an hour and then all of a sudden you go, boom, boom, and your whole car shakes? Because what do you hit? A speed bump, right? And that can happen when we read the Bible a lot as well. We're cruising along in Genesis and Exodus and like, oh, Adam and Eve and Noah and the ark and the rainbows and the Ten Commandments and then all of a sudden, boom, boom. And we hit this speed bump and it's like, God wants to burn people up? What? God's punishing his people? What? That's why we have that question up for you on the screen today. What what part of God's character that we actually see in scripture is the most difficult for you to understand? God's punishing people. God's sending his people into captivity as we heard read today. And so as you're going along and you hit those speed bumps in life, it's important for us to ask a few questions, particularly as we're reading God's word. If you hit something, don't just say, oh, I don't understand that. I'm going to skip ahead to, for God to love the world, that it's all about me, right? You know, 
when we're going through, it's important to stop and ask that question. If you come across something you don't understand, ask, why does this rub me the wrong way? Why does this not sit well? Why, why am I uncomfortable with this? And the reason I want to challenge you to ask those questions as you're reading through the story is it re- might reveal something new that you need to learn about who God is that you didn't know before. It might reveal that you're getting lost in the lower story. Remember the upper and the lower story? Every story in the Bible has an upper story of what God is doing and a lower story of our perspective as humans and only what we can see. Maybe you're getting lost in the lower story and you need to be reminded, oh, this is what God's doing. If you just heard that scripture that Kathy read for us this morning, you would think, this is terrible. (laughs) I don't want to follow this God. He's just burning people up. But you don't know the big story. That's why it's important to know what God is doing and that's what we're going to talk about today. You might need to look again and, and look at the context of what's going on in that story and say, maybe... God is in my box. And maybe we need to be reminded that God doesn't belong in a box because he's God. And as much as we try to put God in a box and you're, you're reading along the story and you come across something, you're like, well, that doesn't fit in my nice little tidy box that I like to keep God in. God is this. God is like this. This is who God is. And then you read along and all of a sudden that doesn't fit in there. So do you quit? No, you have to ask the deeper Question, why does this not sit well with me? The problem is when we encounter a God in the Old Testament that doesn't always fit in our box, what do we do? Well, it forces us to take a step of faith and to grow. And one of the ways that we have been talking about this at Hope is this idea of becoming biblically fluent. Everybody say fluent. Fluent. Biblically fluent. So if I told you that I was fluent in Spanish, what could I do? Speak Spanish, what else? Understand it, right? Read it, write it, understand Spanish, right? So in high school, I took three years of Spanish, right? You would have think that I am an amazing Spanish speaker and I could go anywhere and understand people that are speaking this language. But why am I not fluent? I forgot to practice, right? I, I, I learned a lot, right? But for some reason, the only three things I remember from three years of studying Spanish are C, which means no, which means (laughs) that was a tough one, right? And donde esta el baño? Where's the bathroom, right? Those are the three things that I remember, okay? But why am I not fluent? Because I didn't apply it, right? I didn't do anything with it. I didn't apply, I didn't use it in real life. That's why we're going through the Bible. That's why we're going through the story. Not so you can get some more information, but so you can apply it to your life. And so as you're going along and you're reading the scriptures, we're not just asking the question, what happened in that story? We're asking the question, so what am I going to do about it? Maybe you have to ask the question, what in my life needs to change? There's a couple different ways of reading the Bible. One is just, what is God saying? But then we have to ask that second question, which all followers of Jesus have to ask is, and what am I going to do about it? Put it to work in your life. Apply it. Don't just take three years of Spanish. Use it. Don't just read the Bible. Use it. Become biblically fluent. Don't just hear the word. Be obedient to it. And if you've been reading along these last few weeks, you know that God's people, the Israelites, well, they're not really doing either. 
not only are they running away from God, they've just stopped listening. And that's where we pick up the story today. It's on page 241. If you've got your story Bibles, open those up. Or Second Chronicles. Everybody grab your Bible. I want everybody to have those open today. We're going to be jumping around. And the reason I have you open up your Bibles is because I want you to become biblically fluent. We want you to know where these books are. Push through. If you get to something and say, John, I don't know where Second Chronicles is. Take the step of faith and elbow the person next to you and say, hey, help me find Second Chronicles. Where's it at? Push through. Push through. Everybody get your Bibles open. Second Chronicles chapter 36. It's a long book. Page 241 of the story. Second Chronicles 36 verses 15 and 16. Okay? So how bad has it gotten? Well, really bad. Here's what's going on with God's people, the Israelites. So I'm at the top of page 241. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and his dwelling place, which is the temple. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people. And listen to this last phrase. And there was no remedy. How bad has it gotten? Really bad. Those are powerful words. I don't want to be that person that God looks at and says, there's no remedy. And is there no remedy because God can't do it? No, there's no remedy because God's people have stopped listening. Things have gotten really bad. How did this happen, though? How did we come so far from God's beautiful dream for this great nation to where we are now, where there is no remedy? Well, sometimes instead of just reading the word, we need to hear it spoken to us. And so this morning, I want you to hear the story again, but told in a very spoken word, very creative way. And if you listen very closely, you'll get caught up If you're a little behind on the story, you'll get caught up to how we got to where we are now. Take a listen. Oh, but Israel did not obey God's command. Stay away from false idols when dwelling the land. Instead, they rebelled and worshipped false spirits, not following instruction, for they did not want to hear it, forsaking the truth. Their actions were flaky, tossed and driven like the sea, their faith unstable and shaky, wanting God's protection, rejecting his correction, needing his help, demanding his affection. Still, time after time, God provided a way, extending mercy and forgiveness night and day. God even appointed generals to lead the way, fighting every battle even when they failed to pray. See, Israel always trusted when things seemed okay, but they scoffed when trouble lingered and remained to stay, deciding to disobey, making excuses and demanding their own way. Statements filled with complaints were all the words that they would say. 
War escalating, causing division, nations hating each other, false gods and superstition. Israel forced out of the promised land, relapsing to slavery, mental and physical, ruled over by carnal kings, consumed with worldly things. What happened to the hopes and dreams of a people chosen by God, glory bound to the promised land? Oh, but even in the midst of moral apprehension, God was still so desperate to gain Israel's attention. Men and women, prophets and messengers proclaiming the truth, sent to impart the heart of God into the desolate and aloof. Return to God's ways and follow his commandments, they would say, warning of the wrath of God that would come if they did not change their wicked ways. Israel, can't you see? Oh. But it takes time for deep wounds to heal, especially when Israel disobeyed God's appeal. Israel, my beloved, I poured out my spirit time after time, but yet you didn't want to hear it. Now for 400 years, God was silent and still. Now would you still believe that his promises were real? makes think about it in a new way, doesn't it? And if you listen closely, you can hear the urgency in her voice. But that doesn't compare to the urgency and the desperation of God's voice calling out to his people, essentially, don't stop believing. That's God's message through most of the Old Testament. Don't stop believing that things can change. You see, God made a covenant. That's what she was talking about. God made this covenant with Israel a long time ago that if they would remain obedient to his commands, that he would make them a great nation. And that all the other nations would look to them and say, we want what you have. You have a relationship with a God who loves you. All the other gods during this point of the Old Testament were angry. And if you disappointed them... In any way, they wanted to destroy you. There was no love in their hearts. But here's Israel's God who says, I love you. I want to make a covenant with you. I have pity on you. I have compassion on you. Well, the problem was Israel didn't hold up their end of the bargain. And so for about this 200-year period from 800 B.C. to 600 B.C. is known as this time of the prophets. And that's where the part of the story that we're in. A couple weeks ago, we learned about Amos and, and Hosea. Last week, we talked about uh, Isaiah. And now this week, we're going to talk about Jeremiah and Ezekiel. God is using these prophets to call his people back to himself. Well, how bad has it gotten? Let's take another look. Turn back to page 231 in your story. 231, the very beginning of the story the beginning of chapter 17, or 2 Kings chapter 21. 2 Kings chapter 21. And by the way, if you need one of these, we've got some in the back as well, so it's not too late to, to grab one of the story Bibles. 2 Kings chapter 21, verse 1, at the very beginning. And so this is talking about one of the evil kings of Judah, and his name is Manasseh. Okay, so let's read this. Top of page 231, it says, Manasseh, get this, 
was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. So let's stop there for a second. Do you think it's probably a bad idea to have any king be 12 years old? Probably, right? Don't you think one of the qualifications to be the ruler over a nation should be that you're through puberty, at least? Right? How many kings do you know have acne? Right? So maybe this was kind of a bad idea from the start. Anyway, we continue, and this is one bad dude. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah destroyed. He also erected altars to Baal and made an Asherah pole, as Ahab, the king of Israel, had done. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. Skip down a few verses. This is terrible. He sacrificed his own son in the fire, practiced, practiced divination, sought omens, and consulted mediums and spirits. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. Not good at all. This is one naughty little boy, you could say. And that's just one of the many stories of this whole slew of kings where Israel is trying to provide leadership, but they can't find anybody that won't do evil. So instead of being a light to the nations, you ever seen a lighthouse? That's what God's people were supposed to be. And all the other nations would be drawn to the light. Doesn't sound like that to me. It sounds like they've just blended in with all the other nations around them. They lost their purpose. And I think if we're not careful as followers of Jesus even today, we can do the same thing. Think about it. Israel wasn't supposed to blend in with the nations, the cultures around them, but we do the same. How many of us just say, oh, you know, there's not really that much difference between a Christian and a non-believer. It's just that I show up at this elementary school for an hour a week. If that's the only thing that sets you apart, how's that being a light in the darkness? It's a dark world out there, isn't it? We need to be in the darkness in order to shine our light. The reason that the light shines in the darkness is that it's different. How different is your life from those around you that we're trying to reach? It's funny how Jesus came thousands of years later after the Old Testament and said to us, Hey, you, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. But sometimes our lives are not looking like a city on a hill. Live your lives in such a way, Jesus says, that you, that you as a Christian, in the midst of all the people that don't believe around you, wherever you find yourself in your life, you are the most loving, most gentle, most compassionate, most servant-hearted, most healthy, most stress-free, most joy-filled person around. Is that true of your life? Or you just kind of blend in with how everybody else is. If we're not careful, we can start blending in. And we start to say things like, well, you know, that's just what everybody does on the weekends for fun these days. So I guess that's what I'll do. Well, all the other parents just let their kids go off and do this and that. So I guess I'll just let my kids do whatever they want. Oh, you know, everybody else just sits around at work all day and just, you know, complains and, and gossips about other coworkers and about how bad the boss is. So I guess I'll just jump in with that. 
because that's what everybody else is doing. How can you be a light in the darkness when you look like everybody else? Now, Jesus says, you be different. Not for the sake of being different, but just because that's who you are. You're the light that shines in the darkness. You see, when God gave his people the Ten Commandments, it's almost like, I like visuals, I think in images, it's almost like a road. And you know that on any road you drive, there's a middle line, and that you kind of hug the middle line, and then on the two sides, there's white lines. And when God gave his people long ago the Ten Commandments, he said, this is the road. These are the two white lines, the boundaries that I want you to stay on. And if you'll just stay between those lines, then you'll be strong. Then you'll be a great nation. Then you'll be healthy. Then you'll be protected. But God says if you wander and if you go past those white lines and if you go into the ditches and into the fields, as we know here in Iowa, God says, I can't protect you from the consequences of your own sin. I'm not going to bless your sin. I can't protect you from the trouble that you might find. It reminds me of a story, uh, a not-so-fond memory uh, of a while back in my life. So as a family, we would take frequent trips to Minnesota to my grandmother's house. And it was not over the river and through the woods. It was up the long stretch of Interstate 235. You know what I'm saying? And that stretch can get really long sometimes. And you remember when you were growing up and like a two-hour trip just seemed like eternity do you remember that? Or do you remember, you know, your kids, you know, maybe you go for a half an hour trip and they're like, are we there yet? Right? It can seem like an eternity. So for our family, we pile into our brown, our poop brown Subaru station wagon. Okay. Just giving you an image there. Okay. And, uh, and we would all pile in there and we'd go driving up to, uh, to Southern Minnesota. And on the way, right after we crossed the border into Minnesota, we would need to stop and take a break. And so we would stop at this one rest stop. And over the years, it really became our favorite because my brother and I, being uh, two little boys at the time, we loved to go play. And in the back of this rest area on the way up to Minnesota, there's this woods and there's this awesome path through the woods. And there was like this ramp and you'd go up and down. It was like, this is so cool. And so every time when we'd stop, my dad, knowing that us as boys would love to spend all day back there, my dad would always look at us and say, okay, boys, 15 minutes. That's it. Then I want you back. And then he would look at us close in the eyes and say, oh, yeah, don't forget. Don't leave the path. Stay on the path. Okay, Dad, we got it. We'll be back. All right, good. So we'd take off, and we were so excited. And this one particular time, my brother and I, we'd just take off down the path into the woods, and before long, we made a new discovery in the woods that we had never discovered before. Every 12-year-old boy's dream of discovering. A swamp. Oh, yeah. This is total boy, okay? So it's this icky, slimy, licky, blech of a swamp, okay? And it's green, and it's brown, and one of the reasons that we wanted to go explore it is because, duh, there might be an alligator in it. Because you know Minnesota's known for their alligator. So, like, we are so enthralled with this. The problem is, it's way off the path. Ah, whatever, we'll just be gone for a little bit. Dad won't mind. And so we wander off the path and we start heading toward the swamp and we're excited. We're going to see an alligator or something or the crocodile hunter or somebody. And so we're heading over there and so, sure enough, 
pretty soon as we get closer, we start to walk a little bit slower and a little bit slower, and pretty soon we can't move. We're stuck, and we start sinking into the ground. And my brother and I are looking at each other going, are you... We're sinking! We're stuck! And where's dad when you need him? Why is dad not there? Because dad said, stay on the path. So in that moment, we wanted our father's protection, even though we didn't want his correction. Dad, where are you when we need you? Our curiosity had gotten the best of us. Well, needless to say, we started yelling and yelling and yelling. And so the guy that runs the rest stop had to come down and we just say, uh, yeah, we're from Iowa. Uh, just stuck here in the swamp quicksand. And so then he had to go get my dad and it was really embarrassing. And I have to believe the, the rest stop guy from Minnesota is like, oh, Iowa idiots out walking around, right? Okay. I mean, you heard that one before. Okay. That's just for fun. Needless to say, my dad was pretty upset, right? Really, really upset. And I remember we got back to the car and we're covered with icky, slimy, icky, lich that we brought up to Minnesota with us. And I remember my dad looking at us in the eyes. And he's saying these words, boys, do you know why I'm upset with you? Do you know why I'm angry with you? Is because when you got off the path, I can't guarantee that I could protect you from the trouble that you would find. We wanted his protection, but we wouldn't accept his teaching and his correction. It was sort of the whole ultimate, we want our cake and eat it too sort of thing. That's the story of the Israelites during the time of the prophets. God says there are consequences, and the same is true for us today. There are consequences when you leave the path and when you discover this trouble. That's how a relationship works. God says, I'm not in the sin blessing business. I wasn't then and I'm not now. You can't just go off one minute and say, God, I'm going to do whatever I want and I'm going to live my life the way that I want to and I'm going to set my own priorities. But then when those consequences of your rebellion sneak up to you, you say, well, God, where are you? Help me, save me. And at this point in the story, it had gotten so bad that God says, I can't keep blessing your sin. That's not who I am. That's not in my character. I have this covenant with you, and I want to protect you, and I want to provide for you just like my dad did in the woods that day. But he's saying, I can't bless your sin. That's not who God is. I can't protect you from the other nations that want to take you over. And that's exactly what happened to Jerusalem. What happened to the northern kingdom, Israel, and the southern kingdom, Judah. If you look at this map, go ahead and throw that map up on the screen. You'll see kind of a, a purple line, and you'll see kind of a green line. The red one is when they come back, and we'll get to that later in the story. But you see... um, the northern kingdom is taken over by the Assyrians, and they travel up there and go into the land of Assyria. The southern kingdom, Judah, is taken over by the Babylonians. So the Assyrians and the Babylonians are these two great nations that surrounded them, that God had freed them from, and now they're back in captivity. Pretty dark part of the story. 
thousands of years after crying out to God, save us from the Egyptians, they put themselves right back into slavery. And so here's what happens. Standing on the heap of rubble. Go ahead and go to the next slide. This is like a dust storm in Kansas or something. Uh, No, not that slide, sorry. That's later on. I don't know where this is. But essentially, Jerusalem is in ruins. The temple, the great city of God is in ruins. And there's the prophet Jeremiah sitting on the ruins, watching as God's people are being led away to slavery, single file, marching out. And here's Jeremiah. This is uh, on page 240 of the story. It's in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 5, verse 1. So here's Jeremiah, and there's this beautiful passage right in the middle of Jeremiah's poetry. But I wanted you to understand the context. That's where he is. Everything is a disaster. It's in ruins. And some of you, maybe that kind of feels like your life today. (laughs) Picture kind of describes my life. And so on page 240, this is what we read. Jeremiah is there in the ruins, and he says this. Go up and down the streets of Jerusalem. Look around and consider. Search through her squares. Now listen to this. If you can find but one person who deals honestly and seeks the truth, I will forgive this city. God says just one person. Jeremiah is known as the prophet of tears, and this is why our God, go ahead and, yeah, look at that. Our God is is that guy standing in the midst of the rubble that his people have created as they're being led off by their enemies into slavery, and God is standing on top of the heap of rubble saying, there's still time. You don't have to do this, you know. And I read this passage, if you... If there's just one person who would seek the truth, and I almost, it's almost like God is saying, it's just one step back. It's just one step back. And do you know that the same is true for you every single day, no matter what you've done? You've got to understand this when you're reading through the Old Testament. This is so important. With God, there is never tough love or harsh discipline without loving grace following right behind. Here's the thing about the Old Testament. Grace wouldn't be amazing if we didn't know how desperate we were. And it's really easy for us to go through these stories and say, oh, those blasted Israelites can't get it through their head. But when are we going to understand the depravity of our own sin? I would much rather like to talk to you about rainbows and puppies and happy things. But this is what makes the Old Testament so powerful. And when we get to this person named Jesus Christ, we have to understand how desperate we are in our sin. Grace would not be amazing if there wasn't anything to be amazing about to rescue us from. God is saying to his people here in the book of Jeremiah, look it. You're walking away from me. We're God's people. We're walking away. And God is saying there, right in the midst of it as you're walking away, I'm standing right here behind you. God says, I have literally taken a million steps and I can't force you to love me and I'm standing right here behind you, waiting for you. And all you have to do to change your story, to transform your life, is just take one step from here to here. 
And God says, when you do that, when you turn around, I'm going to be waiting for you with open arms. It's called grace. It's called mercy. Just take one step. Think about the power of just one step. Chances are, if you look around your house and if you keep things a lot like I do, you've got an old pair of one of these, right? Do you have a few pair of one of these? These are from junior high, and I still wear them. You can ask my wife about that, okay? When we got married, this was the only pair of tennis shoes that I had, okay? You don't have to have pity on me. It's fine. I like them, okay? How many steps do you think I've taken in these shoes? A lot, right? Quite a few. Do you know that the average American male in a day takes 7,000 steps? Think about that for a second. 7,000. The average American female takes 5,000. And you might think, well, that just means men work that much harder than women. Ladies, I thought there'd be some sort of uproar or something like that, okay? And because of that, I talked to some ladies this week, and they said, oh, no, the reason there's less steps for the ladies is that we get twice as much work done in a third less time, right? <laughs> ladies, it's called multitasking, right? Okay, there you go. You're not afraid to ask for directions. That's right. That's a lot of steps. Whether you're male or female, that's a lot of steps. If you think about that, what that means is if you count them all up, that's over a million steps in a year. That's a lot of steps. And that's 100,000 miles in your lifetime. That is a lot of steps. And if that's not exhausting enough, by the end of your life, you will have circled the earth four times. <sighs> that makes me tired, right? That's how much walking you do. That's how many steps you take. And yet God says to us today, how many steps is it going to take to return to me? One. It doesn't matter where you've been today. It doesn't matter what mistakes you've made in the past with your life. One step. Just turn around. Just change direction from here to here. And that's essentially what this, one of these weird churchy words that we throw around a lot, what that means, and it's called repentance. You ever heard that word before? Repent. The Greek word for that is metanoia. Everybody say metanoia. It literally means to change direction. My life was heading this way, and now I'm heading this way. But when you hear the word repent, what do you think of a lot? Sin, right? But when Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of God is near, Jesus is saying, just change direction. Whatever direction needs to be changed in your life, just take one step in a new direction and start heading towards me. And so I want to ask you that question today. What's your next step? What's your next step in your life today? Maybe it's finally joining a life group and moving from isolation to community. Maybe it's really starting to make weekly worship a priority and moving from passivity to what God created you for. Maybe it's in your marriage and moving from being passive and complacent to intimacy again. What's your next step today? Maybe it's taking a step back 
to where God wants you to be. It's the power of a step. And nobody knows that better than a certain father and his prodigal son. I've been talking to a lot of people this week, and they're like, John, man, the Old Testament's really heavy and dark. So let's get a little New Testament in there to finish today. Open up to the book of Luke, and this is where we're going to end today. Luke chapter 15. It's a story of a son, a son and his father. And you may have heard this story before. It's called the prodigal son. And you might be asking, John, why are we reading the New Testament? I thought we were in the Old Testament. If you pay close attention, the story of the prodigal son is the story of Israel, who took many, many steps away. So a father had two sons, and one of them grew rebellious and prideful, and he said, give me my inheritance. I'm taking it. Dad, I don't need you anymore, and I'm going to run away. And they get in this big heated argument, and the son runs away, and for years he disappears, and he squanders his money on everything that this world has to offer. You name it. You name it. And he squandered it. And so years later, starving to death, we read this about the son. So Luke chapter 15, uh, starting in verse 17. This is what the son says. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. So he got up and went to his father. You might say in the story of the prodigal son that the son was a million steps away. And yet it's the power of one step that's about to change his whole life. And watch what happens next in verse 20. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. And his father ran to him, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. While he was a long way off, not when his life was all neat and tidy and put back together, not when he got his marriage figured out, not when he was a perfect parent, not when he got everything in his life squared away, while he was a long way off, while you are a long way off, the father runs to you because it's the power of one step. And I almost imagine, here's God in the prophets saying, oh, I just want to love you. I just want to throw my arms around you. And I'm standing right here behind you. And all you have to do is turn around. I just want to wrap you in my arms. And so as we end today, watch this story again. Watch the story of a father's love waiting for you to come home and take one step back. Let's take a look. I don't know if you heard those words or not playing in the background. Nothing can separate. Nothing can separate. Not your past mistakes today, not your current apathy, not your fear of the future. God says to every single one of you today, no space between us. No space between us today. Even when 
my people are being led away into captivity. Don't stop believing. A Messiah is coming. A Father who comes and runs to you. No space between us today. No space between us. Get reconnected today with your heavenly father. Maybe your earthly father. Maybe your earthly son. Maybe your daughter or your mother. No space between you today. God says, nothing can separate you from my love. Let's stand and pray.